Abolition. Abolition. You may already know about the loophole in the 13th Amendment that allowed slavery. But did you know that there's a loophole in that loophole that's still being used today? And as always, it's used to brutalize and exploit black people the most. This is Two Minute Black History. What you didn't learn in school. Centuries ago, the 13th Amendment abolished slavery with a few loopholes. The Constitution made it so enslavement could still be legal through incarceration. But there was another hidden loophole to that loophole that's still being abused today. The 13th Amendment allowed slavery for people in prison, specifically after due process. So, Southern officials wondered, how do you convict, incarcerate, and exploit more black people without a fair trial? Their answer was, the plea bargain, where a prosecutor can offer you less time behind bars in exchange for you admitting guilt, whether you did it or not. Another incentive to pleading guilty was financial. Following through with a trial was expensive for black defendants. Plea bargaining ensured that more black people could be trapped behind bars, so states made huge financial gains off of black imprisoned field laborers too. Today, over 97% of federal felony convictions and 94% state convictions are made because of plea bargaining. Only 2% of federal prosecutions actually end up going to trial. There's no such thing as honesty or fairness in this criminal legal system, especially not for black people. The system incentivizes us not to tell the truth, but to choose between less and more prison instead of no prison at all. History backs us up when we ask, what kind of freedom is that? In order to move towards the future, you've got to look to the past. This has been Two Minute Black History, a podcast by Push Black. I'm done hot. I'm done hot. How many say when I'm done? Spiritual chainsaw, chop you down till your brain's gone. When the Lord comes back, call me your game's off. The wicked are overthrown, your engines are overblown. Diminishing chromosome, this ain't the same song, no. I've come to give you your final warning. Submit to the Lord now, we're strong Kingston. You'll be in that fire burning. The jig is up, listen up, this is that higher learning. I know at night you're nervous, you know the tide is turning. You feel the tires turning, my verses and higher sermons. Little bit of yes, but sweet as Aunt Jemima syrup. Ready to ride, put my feet inside the stirrups. I'm trying to spur a connection. You're just trying to find some service It hurts to give you this message But someone's got to mention You're piling up your debt And God is coming to collect it He's got a score, he's got to settle I hope you've grown cold Cause you're about to be hot forever I can't run on for a long time Run on for a long time Run on for a long time Sooner or later gotta cut you down Sooner or later gotta cut you down Tell that long-tongued liar Go and tell that midnight rider Tell the rambler, the gambler, the backbiter Tell him that God's gonna cut him down Tell him that God's gonna cut him down Yes Yeah What are you afraid of? Afraid Your fear of. is coming, hope you got crops saved 
made up. The reaper's coming. His pride is what you're made of. Jesus humbles when he lights some furnace flames up. His spirit grumbles. You fear the numbers of prophets and martyrs you had to murder. Demons that keep you hard and start to show on the surface. You can't hide it anymore. The cries have been burned in your memory. I hope you know your time is determined. Now your purpose to share light on every lie on this earth. So if you don't like it, you can hide in the dirt. Right with the worms, get plucked up while you're trying to work. No root is established and that is highly deserved. Everything you built up is crumbling down. Everything you saved up is worth nothing now. I hope you know by now that God is going to cut you down. I know cut you down. Run on for a long time.
My name is Yusuf Hassan. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Max Parthas. Peace, Max. Peace, Yusuf. Um, I'm here at the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center in Sumter, South Carolina, streaming live with you tonight. Let's get it. And I'm in Concord, North Carolina, right here near the uh, Charlotte Motor Speedway. I'm out of the house tonight. So uh, last week, we were joined by Amber Phelps of Abolish Slavery VA and Ohio's Gina Kenny of EPIC, Ensuring Parole for Incarcerated Citizens. We also remembered the late, great Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., by sharing a few of his speeches many people have never heard before. Well, this week, we'll continue introducing the class of 2023's Slavery Abolitionist State Organizers, the new breed. And tonight, we're honored to have uh, Georgia organizer Demita Bishop with us. She's going to discuss Georgia's early abolition organizing efforts. We'll also show you how the whole damn system is guilty as hell. The constitutional violations of Sixth and Eighth Amendment rights and the unconstitutional trickery involved in plea bargaining. So Demita is the founder of FAIR, Fighting Against Institutionalized Railroading. Plenty of that going on in the courtroom. She's also the host of the vlogcast Playfair Friday. And she's the lead organizer for the Abolish Slavery National Network, Abolish Slavery Georgia campaign. So before we jump into tonight's topic and bring Demita in, Max, how was your week? Um, man, you know, it's 2023 and Max is, stays busy. Uh, so much has gone down. I spoke to Joy James, Dr. Joy James, uh, a couple of days ago. And uh, she's invited me to join her on a podcast or on YouTube that they're doing, a live broadcast, uh, in the co- one of these coming Mondays over the next couple of weeks. So look out for that. Uh, but I do want to give a disclaimer today. <laughs> you know, I, I feel like I need to give a disclaimer because I don't want people to get Uh-oh. it twisted, right? Um, it's a fact, not an opinion, that black mm-hmm. people suffer the most from this system of oppression, slavery, and genocide. That's not something that's uh, debatable. The facts back it all up. The numbers back it all up, right? The numbers prove it, right? Uh, right. I'm born and raised in a black community as a black person. I got a black family. Guess who I'm going to make sure is always uh, highlighted in this situation? The people that need the help the most, people I know. Uh, that I went through these actual sufferings and pains and I'm still going through them, me and my family. Uh, so right. I'm not here to appeal to somebody else's identity to make them feel comfortable enough to listen to our program. If you come on and you hear some rap, uh, just sit back and enjoy it. Don't be judgmental. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because we play all kinds of music on here. And if you want to help, you should be doing it because it's the right thing to do. Not denying that everybody's not getting equal uh, time on the program. If you're on a block and a house is on fire and there's a family in the fire, you don't say, can we all get some water too? When the fire department shows up, <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Like it's, not, right. it's not happening there like that. They need, they're on fire and they need to put that out right now. 
So I just want to let people know who I am and what I'm about. Um, I'm always going to give voice to the voiceless. I'm always going to champion the people who have suffered throughout this thing for 400 years to the best of my ability. And that is what it is. You know, there's nothing to even say behind that because, like you said, it is what it is, you know. Right. And if someone doesn't want the help to get to the people, they need to really look at themselves. You know, if they always need to be the center of attention as opposed to the issues that affect the people the most of being addressed and they just want other stuff to be talked about, yeah, this ain't the show for them. This ain't the show right. for them. Because you're, you're in denial. The facts are the facts. It's not identity politics. That's how it is. Right. I've myself done the research state after state to find out where black people are incarcerated less than white people in any state in this union, and I found none. There's nowhere. The closest place where white people might be incarcerated more per 100,000 than black people, isn't it, it doesn't exist. But that's Hawaii, and Hawaii is two to one. Two to one. In freaking Washington, D.C., where the population is 50-50 nearly, it's 19 to 1. In places like Vermont, where they have a 98% white population, it's 14 to 1. In New Jersey, right. it's like 12 to 1. It's crazy out there right now. Right. Right. So you, We can go every state constantly, every even state. Idaho, even in the right. white utopia, Oregon. So, yeah, Everywhere. I just wanted to get that out there, man. I don't want people to, to misunderstand or think I'm about something that I'm not about or that I'm going to change my uh, presentation and narrative to try to appeal to someone else. I'm just going to drop the truth as I know it and do it in my own way. And hopefully, uh, so far, we've been successful with that. We Today marks, at the end of this program, we will have provided 340 hours here on Abolition Today of content regarding slavery abolition, both past and present, in an archive, 340 hours. Wow. We need to start uh, issuing some master's degrees. <laughs> we sure do, man. Listen, <laughs> more hours in a master's program. Let's go ahead and bring in our guest because it is running a little late. Uh, we come up on the quarter after Mark. But yes, indeed. I love that opening track. And uh, you think if you want to do the introductions? Oh, for sure. We're bringing back to the show. Again, Demita's been on before. She's called in several times. And just to repeat, she's the founder of FAIR, Fighting Against Institutionalized Railroading. He's the host of the blogcast Playfair Friday and lead organizer for the Abolish Slavery National Network, Abolish Slavery Georgia campaign. Without further ado, welcome back to the show, the Queen of Georgia, Demita Bishop. Man, you are hired to follow me around everywhere and just announce me. <laughs> I, was, I, I, know, I can't wait to meet her. Who is this? <laughs> that, ain't even, that ain't even the end of it all, because there's a lot more to Demita that you can tell us about. Like, you're running for office. You've also uh, gone yeah. to school, I believe, for law. There's so many things that you've done uh, and levels you've achieved. Feel free to let us know. 
Well, I'm currently finishing my last year of my undergraduate at Arizona State University. I'm taking online classes, um, paid for by Uber. <laughs> you have to take advantage of every opportunity you can get. So if you're an Uber driver and you're on the diamond level, got 3,000 or more rides, they pay 100% of your tuition. So they accepted, I have previous college credits, and they accepted 95 out of 102 of my credits, and my major is political science with a minor in pre-law. So I decided to do that to help me run for office and also help me know with more knowledge on um, growing my organization fair. Wow, and you only need seven credits. Only need seven credits, so December, (laughs) as long as I don't join any classes, I'm done. (laughs) So, So after you get the seven credits and you get your diploma, what is your title going to be from there? Well, I will have a bachelor's degree in political science and a minor uh-huh. in um, pre-law. I take the LSAT in March, so I'm taking training for that online, trying to figure it out on my own for now. <laughs> but mm-hmm. if I do well with that, if I hit a 160 or better, then I'm open for scholarships to law school. So, you know, that's the goal is to get into a law school um if I run for office, if um, I win my campaign in 2024, then law school will be paused. But if I don't, then law school will, you know, I'll continue on and go to law school. Uh, a lot of our uh, abolitionist family are going to law school these days. They can see the writing on the wall that once yes. we do what we've been doing, you, we need to challenge these badges and incidents in a court of law because the courts are really going to be the uh, catalyst for change and that the precedences are being set. Uh, so a lot of our people are doing that. Go ahead. Yeah, I had to take my attention from post-conviction to before the conviction because I feel like, I, I just felt like if we stopped it or we got more people to open their mouths in court when the public pretenders wouldn't, that we can show what is really going on and help those in the post-conviction. I know it doesn't make sense, but but what I do with FAIR is I teach people their constitutional and their procedural rights so that they know what to expect in a courtroom and they know how to speak up if they're not being represented by their attorney. Um, so I have to show them the Bar Association rules of professional conduct so they know what is expected out of the attorney, the judge, and the prosecutor so that they know when they're being railroaded. And by doing so, I have successfully stopped 11 convictions nationally just by them opening their mouth because I'm not an attorney. I can't represent them. But 11. They have to 11. And that's, uh, that's uh. from 2019 to now. I know that's not a lot, but we still had some people go to prison. I've had about 15 people still get prison time, but they did not get the time the prosecution was trying to get them. So, for right. example, most of them we found out that there was um, – some type of first-time offenders law, and when the attorney doesn't speak up for it, you don't get it. So they have to speak up and say, well, I qualify for the first offenders in this state, and that got them less prison time. So most of them got one to two years in prison if they qualify for the first offenders. Then I had a few that did some really bad things, but you have a rule of lenity where they have to give you the best possible outcome. So instead of getting 50 years, one guy got 15 Another guy got, instead of getting 20, he got five. And it's all just from speaking up and challenging the laws that they're trying to um, charge you with. So I would tell, for example, like one guy, he was they were trying to get him aggravated assault in the state of Georgia. That's 10 years. Well, he, well, the crime actually was 
um, criminal negligence because he had a gun that wasn't registered. He was too young to have the gun. Um, it wasn't registered in the state of Georgia, but we have that new law where you don't have to be registered. But he was under the age of 21. And then his girlfriend threw the um, the bag that had the gun in it, and it discharged because he didn't have it on safety. So they were trying to give him manslaughter for that. But when you, I mean, excuse me, they were trying to give him aggravated assault. But when you read the actual aggravated assault law, it didn't match. You have to intentionally cause this to happen. So if somebody threw it at you, you didn't intend for this to happen. So the most they can charge him with, because he had already owned up to the gun being his, was criminal negligence. So that's just an example of, you know, what we do. We make sure they're not misusing the laws in the courtroom. We make sure that the defendant understands their rights. And there have been times we had to tell them, look, you actually did this, and they're giving you a good deal, so you might want to consider it <laughs> right, <laughs> based right. on uh, the law. Uh, we know, again, uh, that because of systemic racism, uh, black people are sentenced more harshly and for longer periods of time. Uh, for the crimes yes. that, that are committed equally across the board. Exactly. And when they meet me, the black people are the hardest to help because they're afraid. The white people that I've helped, you know, they they naturally go in and they speak up and there's no problem. But when I'm helping my own race, they're afraid. To, like what I'm saying makes sense and I show it to them. This is what the law says. But when they get in front of that prosecutor, they're, they're afraid. And that's what I'm trying to prevent. Like we have rights. <laughs> We have rights, and there's rules that they have to follow in that courtroom before they can give you this life sentence. But the one thing that scares me in Georgia is those gang laws, because everybody is a gang member in Georgia, even me. Yeah, the way they define a gang, if you don't take their plea, then they're going to hit you with a gang law. And, you know, our gang laws is like if you commit a crime with more than two people or you have on a color associated with gang or you have a hairstyle associated with a gang. And I'm like, what what, what hairstyle do gang members wear? But to them, dreadlocks or braids or stuff that's part of our culture. But because we don't speak up in these legislature rooms when they're making these laws, it sticks. And the only way we can fix it is to change it. There was a case recently, I, I believe it was in Georgia, where the police chief uh, created a gang out of the thin air just to be able to prosecute uh, people that yes. she was in opposition to. Is that correct? That was That's in correct. Phoenix, Arizona. Was it? Okay, okay. It wasn't Georgia. I thought it was Georgia. Unless Demita knows of something in Georgia. Yeah, I, thought, I actually thought you were talking about Demia, D-A-M-I-A Mitchell. Because that happened with her case, too. They they called her a gang member. The, all the people that she was with, they called a gang member. And even though they were not, you know, according to them, you know, we're not gang members. They were back all and, and other things. But because they they didn't understand that because they was a group, that's why the police chief labeled them as a gang member. Well. That is one of the ways they get us as well. And another way that you probably have quite some experience with is what we open up the um, show with, um, with the plea bargains, which is another loophole inside the loophole. Because you yeah. know, an attorney will get to property once you've been duly convicted, uh, but how do they get you to be duly convicted? Uh, and we was doing some research on the plea bargain, uh, you know, tracing it back to where it began, 
when did it really start changing and becoming used more and more to the point where we're talking about 97% of federal cases into the plea bargain? I guess that's crazy. Yeah. And uh, Yusuf discovered some shocking um, uh, numbers that uh, about plea bargains. But while Yusuf finds those, tell me a little bit about your experience with this unconstitutional thing they call plea bargains. Well, a lot of people that I'm meeting, like in, I think you and I talked about Missouri and how they're taking pleas hoping that they go home, but mm-hmm. they may promise five to ten years just to take the plea. But then when you get in front of the judge, the judge does not have to honor what that plea says. That right. you've already admitted to the guilt, so a lot of times he'll switch it and you'll still end up with a life sentence. And a lot of people are only taking pleas because that's the only way they feel they'll ever be able to get back to their family. And it is totally legal. (laughs) It's legal. I checked and checked, and it is legal. The judge does not have to. If the prosecutor says, you know, Demita will give you 15 years if you sign this, the judge can say, you know what, I'm going to prove a point with Demita, and I'm going to give her 50. But because you signed the plea, you only signed the plea to say that you committed the crime. The judge doesn't have to honor what the prosecutor is saying. And that's how they get you Oh, that is so sad. It's so many people that that happens to, and there's nothing that can be done. <laughs> You're right. You we talked get... about this last time, and I was telling Yusuf yeah. about that. That's why I was felt like we should follow up now and expand it to show how the whole damn system is guilty as hell, because it is. Exactly. It's a hand-in-hand thing. It's a complex system. Um, yeah. Regarding the plea bargain, we found that the popularity of the plea bargain in the United States grew in the late 19th century and early 20th century, according to a journal article by Albert Ashler, a professor of law and criminology at the University of Chicago. And he writes that in 1908, half of federal cases ended with a guilty plea. In 1916, it increased to 72%, and by 1925, the number was at 90%. Like it just grew that fast, the uh, exploitation of this tool of Basically, uh, Democles is sword over people's heads. Uh, a yeah, great example. I mean, that, was the height, Go ahead. that was the height of uh, convict leasing. The height of convict leasing, right. Um, it, it's pretty amazing. Demita, any the, commentary on it? Well, the one thing about the federal courts is they are the most corrupt courts in our land. Um and they will, they, they're not letting you go without something. And that's the heart, that's the sad thing about it. I just had a case, Eric Byers Jr. Um, I don't know if, he, if, if I told you all about him, but he was a white kid that at the age of 17 was on Snapchat and girls are sending him pictures of their lady parts, little gr- girls his age now. But they hit him with child pornography because they waited until he turned 18 to go get him and he still had the pictures in his phone. So, you know, once you're 18, you cannot have a picture or anything of a, of anybody under the age of 18, so 17 and under, is considered a child. And they hit them with production because of the screen recorder. And, it was, and we fought it, and we fought it, and we fought it. They were trying to give him 70 years, and, we, you know, his mother called me last night and said, we're just going to take the 15 years. And I was just like, wow. I said, but this needs to be wow. made attention because – they did that to him, but if he would look like me, if that kid was one of my sons, he would have got those 70 years. That would have been the plea deal. 
I said, so uh, this type of stuff needs to be out. <laughs> they need to know that this is how the federal government is rolling these days. That's right. Um, one of the ways that you clearly see crimes against humanity happening is usually the constitutional rights of the citizens are the first to go. Um, they just mm-hmm. stamp all over them. And speaking of, I do want to switch gears and go to one of the other elements of this whole wicked, devious system. Uh, and that's the bail system. Um, so I've got some information to share on audio about the bail system, and then we can discuss it when we come back. Uh, you're listening to Abolition Today, abolitiontoday.org, with Max Parkinson and Yusuf Hassan. Today, our guest is Demita Bishop out of Georgia, who is the ASNN's lead organizer for the Abolish Slavery Georgia campaign. We'll be right back after this. Abolition, Abolition. Today. The U.S. jails more people than any other country, and it's one of only two countries that has a for-profit bail system. What does that mean? Well, the system works like this. Say you're arrested for allegedly committing a crime. One of three things will happen. You get released until your trial, you're denied bail and sit behind bars until trial, or you're offered bail, an amount of money that you have to pay to get out of jail until trial. It's like the court's insurance policy that you don't skip town. Once you show up to trial, you get that money back. Paying bail allows you to go back to your kids, your job, while awaiting trial. But what if you can't pay that bond? It is an explicitly class and wealth-based discriminatory process for determining who gets to be free while they await trial and who is forced to remain incarcerated while they maintain their innocence. So while a rich man charged with murder can afford his $250,000 bail, someone arrested for shoplifting who can't pay their $500 bail may sit behind bars for months before their trial date. At any given time in the U.S., there are nearly 450,000 people locked up awaiting trial, including both those denied bail and those unable to pay. There is another option. If your bail is set at, say, $70,000, but you don't have the money, you can pay a local bondsman to cover the fee for you. But here's the catch. Bondsmen take 10%. So while the court will return the $70,000 when you get to trial, you still owe that bondsman $7,000. That amount will accumulate interest until you can pay it back. And bonds companies are allowed to take extreme measures, including breaking into your home to collect their payments. It's a really lucrative industry with serious consequences for those who can't pay. I was arguing a motion to get one of my clients out of jail. The bail was set at $100,000, well above his ability to pay. Because he couldn't pay the bail, and because the judge refused to release him without bail, he pled guilty. Pleading guilty can get you a plea bargain down to a penalty of, say, community service. While the offense would be on your record, guilty or not, you wouldn't necessarily have to do time, because doing time is the last thing you want. In jail, you risk not just losing your job and relationships, but also the possibility of sexual assault, physical violence, and contracting a contagious disease. And to ask somebody to endure that for more than a month, simply because they're too poor to pay bail, undermines the integrity of the entire criminal justice system. The U.S. Bill of Rights bans what's called excessive bail, but even relatively low bail amounts, say $500 or $5,000, can be considered excessive to some. And it can mean the difference between life and death. 
Take the case of Sandra Bland, who was arrested in Texas for allegedly assaulting a police officer after a minor traffic violation. The court set Bland's bond at $5,000. She couldn't pay, so she was forced to stay in jail. Three days later, she was found dead in her cell. The for-profit bail system is problematic, but there are alternatives. Kentucky became the first of four states to ban commercial bail in 1976, and 94% of felony defendants there still show up for trial. So if other systems are working, should the large majority of states continue to use for-profit bail? Abolition. 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 So you just heard Al Jazeera. No, that was AJ. Oh, that's AJ. AJ? Yes. I just made that up on my own, I guess. AJ, <laughs> bail, the high price of freedom if you are arrested in America. So welcome back to Abolition Today with Max Parthas, Yusuf Hassan, and our guest, Demita Bishop. And Demita, uh, go to you first for a commentary on what we just heard, because I know you have a lot of it. Oh, my name. Maybe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hello? Go ahead. Yeah, we can oh, okay. oh, man, I've had issues with the bail here. Um, you know, every state, you have an amount of time they have to indict you if they hold you in that cell. If they, in Georgia, it's 90 days. If they don't indict you within 90 days, then they have to give you a bail. And a lot of times, the courts will make that bail so high, so you have to sit in that jail cell. Or they'll say, well, because of the amount of time he or she is facing, they're a flight risk. And they'll make that as their excuse to make the bail ridiculously high. You know, uh, when we talk about this whole process, you know, and this is this is where it starts. Like, this is the well, – once the person's arrested, I mean, we know the targeted arrest and all of these things, but once the person is in handcuffs, this is where the process starts. Most people get arrested, and I should say most black people get arrested, and prior to many of the COVID changes, we're going to be stuck in jail, even for some of the most minor offenses. You know, you'll mm-hmm. see guys in there with $25,000 bails for shoplifting. You know, things like that. And so we know that there are many cases out there that have banned excessive bail. Because they say, you know, an excessive bail is akin to giving a person no bail. You know, because there's, there's certain criteria that are supposed to be taken into effect when setting a bail. And the number one is the person's ability to pay. But that's exactly. thrown out the window. They don't think about that. They don't think about the offense. They don't think about station or their community, you know, their community ties, any of these things. It comes down to the color of the skin because there are tons of statistics where a person, a black person, a white person, could get the the same exact charge. And I've seen instances where the white person has an extensive criminal record, and they'll get either a low bail or they'll get released on their own recognizance, and the black person gets the high bail. That you know, so it starts there and then I love the fact that you call them public pretenders because that's what I call them yeah. too. <laughs> you know, the public pretender takes over at that point. His job is to I call him the great convincer. 
his job is to convince the person to go ahead and take this plea. Usually it's the first plea that's even offered if they're coming in and saying, look, they got a, a mountain of evidence against you, you know, and then they start using their time in jail as part of these negotiations. they like, look, they start selling them work release and other, you know, early release programs that a person may not even be, in, be uh, eligible for. And they'll be like, oh, you got 15 months in, you know, why don't you take this five years? You know, you can be eligible, you know, you'll be out on uh, work release or be in the halfway house in 18 months, and that could be all a lie. And the person ends up getting caught like that because they restrict the law library access so people don't have time to research when they're in jail. You have a lot of jailhouse myths going around. All of these things tie into uh, just how what, what feeds into this corrupt system, Max. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, there was a couple of things that really stood out for me. One, she pointed out uh, that there's only two countries in the whole damn world that use for-profit bail industries. Just two, America and the Philippines. And uh, who's right. Duarte over there in the Philippines that is massacring drug dealers and exploiting these uh, same things the U.S. is exploiting? you got to ask, why doesn't the rest of the world use this? And the answer to those are very clear. They think it is immoral, unjust, unethical, and it creates conditions where the rich can always step out when they feel like it and the poor cannot. And she even threw right. up a number like that she didn't go too detailed into, but she gave an example with Sandra Bland, who had a $5,000 bail. Uh, and we all saw what happened on video, and yet still five freaking thousand dollar bail for an unemployed woman. Now, with the bail bondsman, you can get out on five hundred. They'll put up your five thousand. Uh, you give them five hundred, and they keep all of that money when it comes back. So if you attend court, whatever, yeah. they get all the five thousand back, and that's how they make their money. She couldn't even right. get that amount together, um, and then she ended up dead. Another example of that would be Khalif Browder. Three whole years, they couldn't get $500 to get him out. That's the level of poverty they was at. And in the, another clip I'm going to play momentarily, we'll hear about you know the court cases, Supreme Court cases. There's only been three of them on this aspect of the Eighth Amendment. Uh, and one of them showed or they, they decided that you have to take into determination of the a defendant's ability to pay. You have to take that into determination. Otherwise, there is no Eighth Amendment, and freedom is is a lie. Yeah. So, yeah. Go ahead, Dimitri. Sounds like you want to say something. I do. I wanted to comment on what you just said. And, you know, we all know that, that what the Eighth Amendment says, but one of the things that plays against us is that the defendant or the attorney, pretender, whoever, doesn't mention their rights when they're in the courtroom. And you know, I always tell people, I throw a lot of information at them when they first get arrested. The whole justice system is how do you expect someone who didn't go to law school or, you know, who's never been in trouble, unless they're a career criminal, they don't know what their rights are. And they don't know that when the judge slams that gavel down, it's too late to say anything else. You're pretty much going to be stuck with whatever happened in that trial or in that hearing or whatever you went to court for that day. And the same thing with bail. If you don't mention that, well, you know, the Eighth Amendment says that I am protected and, and your laws on bail says this, that, and the third, 
then it's going to be set in stone what they do to you in that trial. So my suggestion is always to look up your state bail um, laws, the statutes on the bail and bond procedures, and make sure you're fully aware of them if your pretender isn't going to speak for you. You have the right to address the court before he slams the gavel down and mention any part of that that you don't agree with. Just so you have it on record so you can appeal any hearing. Yeah, you're absolutely right because you mentioned it earlier where many people are just afraid to speak up in court. You already have the public pretender there shucking the person. But I've told people, I'm like, look, this is your life. You have to speak up for yourself. And the courts have always said that, yes, they are right, but a right only exists if you claim that right. So many times cases don't get heard because they have two standards. They have plain error and then they have harmless error. You know, Mm -hmm. and if someone doesn't claim a right or object to something, then they only look at it under the plain error standard where it just – you know, it has to be something where, but for that mistake, it wouldn't have happened. Otherwise, they just call it a harmless error. So many people yeah. are sitting in prison, and they lost their appeals over harmless error. It's meaning, exactly. oh, it was an error. The judge shouldn't have done it, or the prosecutor shouldn't have done it, or this shouldn't have been allowed, but it's a harmless error. And then on top of what you just said, then when you – take it to the appellate court, they'll say, well, you didn't mention this in the hearing. You didn't argue that right. this harmless error right. even happened. And who would know to do that? How would I know to object? I'm not attorney. It's shameful right. because every attorney, uh, the judges, they all swear an oath to defend the Constitution, don't they? So it really mm-hmm. is that they're supposed to be the ones that are acknowledging that these rights exist. Um, and also, on top of that, I think learning your constitutional rights is probably one of the most important things you can do in the United States. Yeah, we need to bring that uh, into play in our civics classes, in grammar school, in high school, and even in universities should be just embedded in your brain. Until we uh, create the 28th Amendment, which will negate the 13th, there's only 27 amendments. You learn more songs than that in just a year. <laughs> so you can right. learn these 27 amendments, especially the first 15 of them. Uh, those are the, among the most important, the first 15. Because if you don't know your rights are being violated, how can you complain about it? And that even applies exactly. to uh, the police. Most times, police don't even know your damn rights. They're the ones violating mm-hmm. the rights they swore an oath to defend because they don't even know what they are. Right. Let me tell you, I did a, a, I did a march with Shawana Vinas in New York, and I told some of the people in Al Sharpton's organization that you guys have to have the power to give people the right information. If you're, if we're losing in these trials, then let's pull these stat, these um, transcripts to find out why that police officer got off. Because in the state of Georgia, we got suspicion laws that are the reason we can't even say racial profiling anymore. The suspicion laws mean that they can. Any police officer can pull me over for doing suspicious activities. So take it a step further and look up what Georgia considers suspicious activity. It's anything. Every little thing we do is suspicious. Sitting in your car, walking by yourself, running by yourself, running when it's dark, walking when it's dark, standing outside of business when it's closed, standing outside of business and everybody else is inside. I mean, they're so – they cover every little thing. So if they pull up on you – 
you can't say they were racially profiling me. Because they're going to say, well, she was suspicious. And then when you pull those those uh, suspicion laws, in walking and chewing gum, every little thing you do is suspicious. Right. He looked at me funny. Oh, as uh, Savannah told us, you know, she was in Texas. Her air conditioner was broken, so she was driving with her windows down. They found that suspicious. <laughs> yeah. Right. Crazy. Uh, that's isn't that what qualified immunity is based on. Uh, the police are held, um, uh, they're not held liable or when they violate your constitutional right uh, in a civil court as long as they did not know that they were violating your constitutional rights at the time of the event. Right. So all you got to say is I don't know, which means your ass swore oath that you don't know nothing about. And that, what, what can you say about that? How can you even do that? Swear oath before right. God and man that you're going to defend this to the best of your ability and you don't even know what's in it. And then you violated uh, someone's rights and you get held uh, uh, blameless because you can pretend you didn't know. Well, I didn't know that the Fourth Amendment said I couldn't illegally search his car. I didn't know, you know. Right. I didn't know the Eighth Amendment protects us from a cruel, unusual punishment. So when I was starving the prisoners, I didn't know. It's crazy. I didn't. It's absolutely crazy. <laughs> Go ahead, Demita. Yeah. Um, I and I that's get... why I'm. Uh-huh. No, I'm just. I was just going to say I'm thankful that you guys allowed me to become a part of this with you all because. This is the most, that 13th Amendment, I remember when I first met you, Max, and I had sent you a little slit in your DMs about something. You said that's why I work on to that 13th Amendment, because that one law can solve so many problems in our prison system. It's an interconnected system, and that is the point that joins it all together. At the moment of conviction, you become property of the state, but to be owned Mm -hmm. and operated traded and worked, sold even, uh, on the open market through prison stocks and jail bonds. Uh, so, yeah, yep. if we do that, it opens up the door. And you can't go nowhere until that door is open. You're stuck in the same place. But when we open that door, it creates a whole new environment. And we've seen states that have uh, abolished slavery from their state constitution already start challenging those conditions. So Colorado is suing uh, over there in regards to forced labor, uh, I know Vermont is working on reparations issues now that they have done theirs, and Alabama is about to challenge Governor uh, Kay Ivey for her uh, executive order, right, which is basically yeah. outlawing uh, refusing to work. We just got that out of your constitution, so no, you can't do that. And until we hold yeah. them accountable and challenge them, they're going to keep doing it. Exactly. So, yes. Let's get a little deeper into this bail thing uh, before we end up in our, our, our next break. Uh, this is just a two-minute thing, it's a short clip, but it goes a little deeper so you can understand it more. Once again, you're listening to Abolition Today, abolitiontoday.org. We'll be right back after this. Abolition, Abolition. Today. The Excessive Bail Clause is one of the least litigated provisions in the Bill of Rights, with only three cases from the Supreme Court of the United States directly addressing it. Those cases have focused on the issue of when bail can be denied, but have not otherwise definitively answered the question of what the clause means or when it applies. The court initially adopted a liberal approach to the clause in 1951 when it decided Stack versus Boyle. 
The defendants in Stack were charged with conspiracy to overthrow the government. They were held on $50,000 bond, which exceeded the amount usually imposed for offenses with similar penalties. The Supreme Court supported the defendant's motion to reduce the bond, emphasizing the role that bail plays in maintaining a fundamental freedom. That fundamental freedom is the traditional right to freedom before conviction, which permits the unhampered preparation of a defense and serves to prevent the infliction of punishment prior to conviction. Unless this right to bail before trial is preserved, the presumption of innocence would lose its meaning. The court found that the function of bail was to balance this right with an assurance that a defendant would stand trial and submit to sentence if found guilty. It held that bail set at a figure higher than an amount reasonably calculated to fulfill this purpose is excessive under the Eighth Amendment. The court reasoned that the bail imposed on the stack defendant did not fulfill this purpose because there was no evidence that the defendant was a flight risk. Therefore, such a high bail was not necessary to ensure their attendance at trial. Abolition. 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 Oh, sorry about that. So welcome back to Abolition Today, abolitiontoday.org. Are plea agreements unconstitutional? And that was by the R&R Law Group. Uh, sorry, am I reading the wrong one? I'm reading the wrong one. Law Shelf. Uh, what is bail considered excessive? An Eighth yeah, Amendment analysis. Bail considered excessive? An Eighth Amendment analysis, and that's by LawShelf.com. And I'm glad they mentioned the the uh, Supreme Court case of Stack versus Boyle. You know because. And that's a 1951 case. There are even cases that go back even further than that. But that one was specifically about bail, you know, where it talked about, you know, excessive bail, you know, how to fix the bail, uh, you know, looking at the seriousness of the charges, and uh, also the fact that it's a case that falls under you can you can you can uh, file for habeas corpus in order to fight against an excessive bail. And Davida, I know that that's something that you are talking about a lot with your listeners over in uh, your vlog, Playfair. Yes. It's called Playfair Friday. Yes. Right now, I think we're spending. I'm doing this for all the post-conviction people. Um, we're, we're breaking down habeas corpus because a lot of them are losing because they're filing the wrong type of habeas. So I'm making sure that they understand the differences in each habeas and the different types of violations that you can file for. So some, it's just a matter of the words in the in the habeas law. Right. And when you file on one and you lose. A lot of times the judges are telling you why, but you only get so many chances, and a lot of times you just took your one and only chance, and it's too late. And that right, cruel and unusual. The whole thing about post-conviction is cruel and unusual punishment. For sure. Because you'll sure. change all because, we, change all because of... Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, I'm sorry. Have, I was going to ask, have, have you come across any instances where they were doing a hate People call it a haze. They want a haze for excessive bail. I've not met one yet. 
they always threw habeas on their post conviction. I haven't met anybody that did one on bail. Okay, yeah, that's very common in New York and New Jersey mm-hmm. because uh, they're just famous for these excessive bails. And you have a lot of people having to file habeas because New York and New Jersey, for certain crimes, they give you no bail. And just giving a person no bail, we've already seen in several cases where that's the worst form of uh, cruel and unusual punishment. If you look at uh, even some Georgia cases, Dickey versus Morris, uh, Newsom versus Scott, those are like mm-hmm. the ones that really set the, set the tone on it because they were decided back in the 1920s, again, when plea bargains shot up to that 90%. So. Right. There's a real history, a connective history back there. Yeah, I'm not sure that the court seems to understand cause and effect. <laughs> uh, in Stack versus Boyle, 1951, they determined that there's a fundamental freedom we have as Americans under the Constitution. And one of those is the freedom from punishment prior to conviction. And when you have an excessive bail, Imagine you're working at a minimum wage job, barely struggling to stay above water, and you can't afford this $500 bail, and yet you get to spend three months in jail. So whatever job you had is whatever house you rented is gone. Whatever bill you own is probably now putting a warrant out for your arrest to pay the water bill like they did the 81-year-old woman in Alabama. Right. Um, You have literally destroyed this person's life. And we know to go from poverty to middle class takes generations if nothing goes wrong. So you literally affected the entire future of this pe- these people's, not only personally, but their descendants now, by what you've done to them by violating their rights. Uh, so, yeah, Sandra Bland was out unemployed. What did they expect to get from her? Uh, Khalif Browder was a teenage 16-year-old kid. What did they expect to get for them? Uh, and their parents were in poverty themselves and couldn't afford it. So this is a cruel and unusual punishment outside of conviction because you haven't even been convicted yet. Uh, remember right. Dr. Stewart, who's right now still in Rikers Island, has been there for right. four years without a trial. What do you think you've done to his life by removing him from his family and his community for four years with no trial? And that is when a habeas comes into play because the definition of a habeas is show me the body. So you have mm-hmm. to show that not only did your constitutional rights get violated, but that the body suffered because of this incarceration. So for anybody that gets found not guilty after their conviction and you done sat for years and you done lost everything, you need to immediately be getting a habeas filed. So that's the only way that you can get a civil rights attorney to take it into southern states is if they can get a judge to first say that the the body suffered because of this. Then they can come after the um, state of whoever for money. And as you mentioned earlier, <clears throat> we either don't know or are afraid to do so because of the repercussions yep. that may occur. Um, and that is just mm-hmm. sad. Uh, education is needed on your rights for all citizens in this country. Because 
Exactly. If we're not a nation of laws, then we're just wasting our time. It's a lawless land, and you might as well go ahead and have the revolution because there's no laws in this land. We either have a constitution that is the supreme law of the land, or we don't. Right. All right. Uh, Demita, before we go on forward, we're coming up on a few minutes before the top of the hour. Uh, we usually ask our guests to join us for at least an hour, but we can the door open if you'd like to continue and stay with us like you did last time. Um, discussing yeah. these issues. So before we move forward, I just want to find out, uh, are, do you only have the first hour or are you going to spend some more time with us? Y'all got me to the end if you want me. <laughs> All right. I, you know, <laughs> I think you said that to me before. <laughs> yeah. uh, no doubt. I appreciate that, Demita. All right. With that being said, I'll open up the phone lines. We can take one or two calls uh, before we get to our break at 8 p.m. Uh, if you have a question or a comment, press 1 on your keyboard if you've already called in. If not, the number is 515-605-9814. Remember to press 1 on your keyboard so that we know you have a question or a comment. All right, so uh, until we get a hand up, we'll just go ahead and continue where we were at. Uh, Yusuf, you were digging up some research on this whole thing, and you and I talked beforehand about well, at least I was expressing to you my feelings on the issue, that I was just so frustrated at how far we've let this go and how um, this, this, how desensitized we have become to this uh, happening to us day in and day out. It's, just, it's, you know, it's like walking past the homeless out on, in California. It's like you just see them every day, so you just keep on walking past, no big deal. And that's how we're doing with human lives. We see these uh, crimes occurring uh, in these mass scales, these violations of uh, constitutional rights, even up to the point where uh, people are being murdered. Uh, Remember last year, 2022, was more people were killed by police than in any other year recorded, just last year. So it's not like it's getting better. It has actually gotten. What did you want to add to that? And we do have a hand up, by the way. I'm sorry, Max. Can you repeat that? Um, for some reason, I was I asking about. Hear you for a second. I was asking about some of the research that you pulled together today. I see uh, was up there and, and just expressing my sentiments earlier. But we do have a hand up if you want to take the call first. You know, I just when we when we run the numbers, kind of like solve the riddle. You know, we're talking about an $80 billion industry, two point, well, I guess we got to be up to $2.5 million by now, right? Yeah, $2.5 is only what the government is spending. That's not the total price tag. Right. And even that, about I think, is understated. It's a, yeah, it's a ridiculous number when you factor in all mm-hmm. the corporations. 20% of the world's population, <laughs> you know, is residing in the United States. 20%. It says America currently contains 1,833 state prisons, 110 federal prisons, 1,772 juvenile facilities, 3,134 jails, 218 immigration detention facilities, 80 tribal jails. You know, something we can discuss with Mark Charles next time we have him on. 
and when we when we really look at the numbers, they talk about how many exonerations are happening every year. When we go back to the plea bargain, people that are, you know, a lot of times people think that everyone in, in jail is guilty, so that's why they deserve what they're getting. Whatever is happening to them, they deserve it. But they don't factor in the number of people who plead guilty. You know, that's why Khalif Browder spent three years in jail. He refused to plead guilty to a crime he didn't commit. They were trying to give him time served. He could have gotten that, you know, two years earlier or a year earlier, whatever, but he would have had that guilty conviction, which we know once a person has a guilty conviction, there are as much as 80,000 collateral consequences to a to a conviction. 80,000. You can get denied housing. You can get denied a job. You can get denied being in college. It's just so many things. You can get denied certain types of health care. You can get yeah. denied almost anything you can imagine. It affects a person's credit score. All of these things come into effect. Cause so, and effect. Yeah, cause and effect. You just said it a few right. minutes ago, Matt. So we yeah. definitely uh, cause and effect. All right. I well, believe that's bring our call in from uh, the month. Uh, Sister Corinne, welcome back to Abolition Today. Hi, guys. Hi, Demita. It's very nice to meet you. Or here nice to meet you. Um, uh, I just wanted to bring out fabulous stuff I've been researching about the same topic. Um, I think that our hope is um, writing effective prayers for relief. And I've been looking at um, ways that I could be of use to this. I I can't even call it a movement. It's the next generation, really. <laughs> um but, yes, I, Demita, you and I probably can connect, and I'll talk to Savannah, too, because me and Savannah connect. Um, but that's really what we need to look at the future because that's where um, we can put indispensable information to judges who are, you know, tasked with the the tool, um, with the task of um, giving judgments and things like that. So I've been thinking about that, and I think you guys should, you know, hope on that. So I just wanted to um, bring that in. And also, Demita, I was also listening about your habeas corpus. Very smart, very smart woman you are. And I was thinking about mental anguish is another direction we can look at. You know, a lot of the times we do IIED, intense and infliction of um, emotional distress, but we should look at how these people affected our mental and also how our daily lives, which would go along with Khalid Browder, Sandra Bland, and how these, you know, these actions affected our daily lives, which would go under a uh, mental anguish claim. So I just wanted to put that out there because they're definitely like myself and others who are thinking about how to be of use and how the law could be um, our weapon to fight. But you guys are doing amazing. I just wanted to say that, too. Thank you, Corinne. Uh, uh, Demita? Yes, Corinne. First of all, I want to say in 2019 when I started this, I didn't have anybody. Well, I still don't have anyone I love, well, a loved one in prison. I just jumped on board not knowing what was going on because – people started showing me the corruption in this. So I just started, I just came out of nowhere and just started doing my part. So you don't never have to ask permission to join. You're always welcome to assist anywhere. There's no small part in this. Sharon, I tell people, even if you, all you did was share a post, you did something to help. Every, everything and everybody is needed. Thank you so much. And, you know, it's about the sisterhood because you can't, sisterhood when you know that there's sisters locked up. 
So you're really not about that sisterhood if you say that you're about the sisterhood because, you know, this is the Deltas. Um, they're, you know, January 13th. That's when they had their Delta Day. And then, you know, the AKs and all those people who claim sisterhood, that's how you can prove the sister. And it's bigger than just sororities and things like that. It's just any woman who can see another woman suffer and just like, oh, well, you know, that's her. These women are not criminally minded. They they could be your best friend. You never know. Just because they made a mistake, just because they entered the wrong relationship, just because they loved the wrong man and they've made a mistake, whatever the issue is, they're not criminally minded people. They've made mistakes. And if you want to be a sisterhood, that's how you really show the world you're about a sisterhood. So that's why. Yeah. <laughs> Me and my 12-year-old was watching Georgia and Jenny, a show on Netflix, and there was a scene where the dad's girlfriend is a defense attorney, and um, the little girl asked her, how can you defend somebody? They did something so bad. And she said, my job as a defense attorney is not to judge them, but to humanize the defendant, to show why this crime happened in the first place and try to get the court to sympathize and not give them so much time. And that just hit me right there because it took me back to the Bible. I grew up in the church, even though I don't go like I should go now probably, but there's a verse in the Bible that says, remember those in prison as if you were chained to them and remember those who suffering as if you yourself are suffering too. And that's been my motto ever since I came into this movement that I have to remember that there's people suffering and anything that I can do to help lessen the suffrage and to release the bonds of, of incarceration, I'm, I'm willing to do it. Amen. Amen to it's that. Not, you know, you're only, what do they say? You're only as strong as the lesser of these. And with the lesser of us is homeless. The lesser of us has mental health issues and the lesser of us are on drugs. So we've yeah. got to do our part as a society to find out what we can do to assist these people. And I've never seen the right forsaken, so continue exactly. writing. I, I want to one more time go ahead and switch gears because the whole damn system is what? Guilty as hell. Guilty um, as hell. That's right. It's not just the prosecutors. It's not just a violation of the Constitution. It's also the police. As I mentioned before, yeah. 2022 was more people killed by police than in any recorded year before it. Uh, so things are not getting better. And they have a certain uh, mentality, these killer, murderous, uh, biased, racist police. Uh, we mm-hmm. reported on this program before about what happened in Wilmington, North Carolina, where the police were caught on dash cam uh, wishing and praying for a civil war so they could go out and slaughter people. Well, we have those very police on audio uh, right here on Abolition Day. So you can hear it in their own words, not only what they were saying about us, but then what they said after they got busted. Um, And that's going to be followed by Brother Tony Crane, um, now or never. So let's go ahead and get into our music and information break, and we'll be right back after this. Abolition. Abolition. Tonight, an exclusive WECT investigation reveals never-before-seen-or-heard recordings captured by a malfunctioning police cruiser camera revealing racism within the ranks of the Wilmington Police Department. You know, you have a civil war, go ahead and wipe them all the map, that'll, that'll put them back about four or five generations because, and then you know what, the good ones can go live in their little communities and they can do what they want to do to stay out of my way. But if we do not get a handle on this we are not going to have a country for our kids to be raised in. You told me tonight, you said, all right, tomorrow's a purge day, get as many as you want. 
figured I'd go down there. I'd go down. I'd go down there and slaughter them motherfuckers. The recordings were not only created by chance, but also discovered by chance when a supervisor conducting random audits of video footage decided to take a listen. Uh, you just use the term. And then you follow that up with having to take it to a Negro magistrate. And, and so what, what's, what's going on with that? Is that just how you vent? So, yeah, I, I shot my mouth off. Shouldn't have done that. That's not who I am. I'm not too racist. The whole thing that started this whole conversation, man, it's just that I'm just at a breaking point, you know. Now, we should point out all three of those former officers are no longer serving in law enforcement. It's crazy. I dedicate this to my ancestors. I thank you for the sacrifices and the power that you've instilled in me. And to the pioneers of hip-hop, thank you all for making this possible. I got you. Four shots just rang out. Another black child dead in the gutter. Murdered by a cop won't get no justice. Parents on the news, but you know we can't trust this racist society. Only one a lot of me hating on skin color. Mean why you killing by the stress and epidermis? Watch me turn this track into a black power message. Really burn every record of my time here. I'm from Janet. I can't be lying. Words bond soon. We see the triple on spaced out. Hell no, divine in my bloodline. Prime or the bond in the streets. Check the rhyme flow. Pain is all that we hear. Our rain is what they all fear. Change is what I hope to instill. As I drop these bomb ass lyrics, infusing these bars with old gun spirit. I'm about to drop a jewel and I hope that you hear it. Garvey on my mind, Huey in my brain, Martin in my veins, not cool with my limits. Get it? If you're in too bad, I'm off the wall like Michael Jackson who's bad. Dabbing on him like Cam Newton, you mad? Ugh, I could give two bucks. Stomp through New York with my C, do what? Edward James Roy got my back, I'm too tough. Liberia today going wide to Ohio, you and I, ACL, who I rep for? Yup, it's a rap for the lames who never did want me spitting truth in the game. Here I am now, serving food for your brain. With your appetite gone, you could break off the chain. It's now or never, time to take back our power. This is the power hour, time to reclaim our power, yeah. It's now or never, time to take back our power. This ain't the time for cowards, time to reclaim our power. It's now or never, time to take back our power. This is the power hour, time to reclaim our power, what? It's now or never, time to take back our power. This ain't the time for cowards, time to reclaim our power. I'm a rebel like Nat Gabe or Denmark Vesey. Out in this wilderness, all my Africans are suffering. Diaspora or indigenous, see the way we need to recognize the strength inside and utter a battle cry. Look into my eyes, I'm so sincere. Carry my CCW her. Take a cop, shoot at me, and I'm sending shots back. I ain't never been afraid, and I ain't right now. These races feel it's hunting season for any given reason. It's justifiable homicide to the overseers. The media just agrees with them, so turn off that TV. The answer's right here. It's clear enough to be seen by Stevie. Wonder why you can't see it, fam. Unity is the only plan. Gotta pool all our resources and return to the motherland. Freedom won't come without some bloodshed. And haven't we blood enough already? Yeah. I can see all the blood on the dance floor from Emmett Till to Sandra Bland. Time to show the whole world who's the man. Not that loving Dr. Dre. I mean original, neurotic, comedic man. It's now or never. Time to take back our power. This is the power hour. Time to reclaim our power. Yeah. It's now or never. Time to take back our power. This ain't the time for cowards. Time to reclaim our power. 
It's now or never, time to take back our power This is the power hour, time to reclaim our power What? It's now or never, time to take back our power This ain't the time for cowards, time to reclaim our power Abolition, 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 abolition you're back on Abolition Today, abolitiontoday.org with Max Carthage, Yusuf Hassan, and our guest, Amita Bishop. And you just heard the racist rant released of the former Wilmington Police Department officers recorded on police cam, followed up by Tony Crane's Now or Never. And Tony is on the line listening in. If you want to make a comment, please raise your hand, brother. But thank you for that track. Uh so I'll pass it to you first, Demita, for a comment on what you just heard. Ooh. You know, at that point, I think, you know, when they when stuff like this happens, oof. I remember when Kyle Rittenhouse got off, and I started seeing memes from some of my classmates, <laughs> and they were saying this was the day that people effed around and found out. And I was just like, oh, they want, they want this to happen. And then I hear this tape. There's, I, I believe in my heart they're trying to force it to happen. They're trying to push us into that direction. But the question is, would we be ready if it happened? Because they take, you know, our rights to bear arms. Like, you know, in Georgia, we all have the right to bear arms now unless you're a convicted felon, so convicted felons won't be able to defend themselves if some type of, you know, revolution was to go off. Or you would be able to, but you're facing multiple life sentences because you're a convicted felon. <laughs> yeah. That was 60 years, 60, 70 years of experience on the police force talking that three of those people who were involved in Wilmington. The damage they've likely done in that period of time is just unimaginable. And yes, they were strategizing on how to create this. Uh, after they got busted, you heard the dude go, you know, we're just reaching our breaking point and this is how we're venting. Well, what was your breaking point from? Their breaking point is coming because people who are being oppressed are protesting in the streets about their oppression. And for some reason, they hate that. Uh, they think that you're all liars. Uh, you're telling falsehoods. You're not being oppressed. And I don't. Even, I can't even say this with a straight face, but we've seen studies come out where uh, I think it was 55% of whites thought that they're the most oppressed people in the country. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like right. Them. You know, you're the one shooting people. You're the one sent yeah. to prison and jail. It's not you. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, we we, we got a, another caller in. It might just be Brother Tony Crane. Let me bring him in and see what's up. Uh, welcome to Abolition Today, eight five one four. Is that Tony Crane? Yes, it is. Peace, Max. Peace, Jesus, uh, and um, greetings, Miss Bishop. Demetrius. Hey, Tony. Uh, yep. I um I definitely appreciate opportunity and my music. Um, this, this episode here, it definitely resonates with me because um, I wrote that song immediately after watching Philando Castile be murdered by the camera on Facebook Live. 
Tony, are you speaking on your speakerphone? Because it's a it's a lot of feedback and we can't hear you that well. Or oh, it looks like we lost him. I, I think we lost him. Yeah. Yeah, we Maybe lost him. Hopefully, he can call back because he was giving us the history as to when he wrote yeah, that song. Yeah, after uh, uh, the murder of Philando uh, Castile. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. th- and that one, that one really hurts me. All of them hurt me, wow. but the Philando Castile really hurt me. For those yeah. that don't recall, that was the the brother who worked in the cafeteria in the school. This was in Minneapolis, right, Max? Yes. Yeah, and driving in the street, and the officer pulled him over for a busted tail light. This guy has a registered handgun. He's like he's supposed to. He tells the officer, I have a registered handgun in the car. He has his his fiance and his daughter in the back, his four-year-old daughter in the back seat. And, of course, we know how it played out. The officer murdered him, and nothing happened, just like nothing uh, happens most of the times to police officers. You know, we hear that these yeah. Wilmington police officers uh, were fired, but we know a lot of times officers just go right to the next town over and get rehired. And we see it happen all the time. Yeah. I see that we have you know, Tony Crane back on the line. Go ahead, Demita. He's still coming after you. Go ahead. Yeah. No, no. I wasn't about to say anything important. I was just giving a statement that I think I know it's hard with the struggling going on in this country, but when they try to pay us off, I think at some point we've got to stop taking their money because that money allows is a payoff for us to stay quiet and allow this to happen so they can do it to the next person. But we got to stop taking their payouts, and we got to start holding them accountable in more ways. We got to stop letting them buy us off when they do something like Sandra Bland, Philando Castillo, Jacob Bland. Right. Hey, Tony, just FYI, you sound kind of bad on your speakerphone. If you can take it off speakerphone, yeah, see if that sounds any better. There you go. Yes. Do I sound better? I have my uh, Bluetooth. Yes. I have the Bluetooth. We can hear you now better. Yes. Okay, thanks. Um, but like I was saying, absolutely, um, I agree with Ms. Bishop wholeheartedly, and I've said this on Facebook time and time again. I think every time a family accepts some type of cash payout, as far as I'm concerned, it's blood money that you're accepting, and yeah. it's just, it's just, um, it's just like not punished, not not stopping an abuser from abusing you. They'll just keep on doing it. You know what I mean? Because you just you're telling you're telling them it's okay every time you take the money. Yeah. These police, uh, you know, they, I, I was appalled by the the um recording, but I wasn't surprised at all. You know what I mean? These cops are out here. They're, I mean, they're gang members and bullies with guns. <laughs> you know what I mean? Slave catchers in every sense of the word, and now the police forces have quit. I mean, how many, how many cops quit during the pandemic? You, I drive, I work at night out here in New York and upstate, and I see empty police cars just set everywhere just to, like, stop speeders and stuff, but nobody's in there. You know, there's a lot of these Proud Boys out there are just ex-police officers with 
a whole bunch of guns and a whole bunch of angst waiting to kill waiting to kill black people, black brown people. You know, it's just crazy out here right now. It's even, you know, when Chauvin for killing um, George Floyd, and I and I was listening to his sentence, the 20 years he got, and I said, but if he was a black man, just not a police officer black man, but just a random black man doing the exact same thing he did, they would have gave him more time for all the aggravations that he caused. Like, he would have got time for the people crying on the Internet, for the people that was outside that had to watch it, for every little thing that they could find in that crowd to add more time to him. So that time that he's crying about is was nothing if he was a black man. He would have got multiple life. He would have never got out of prison. It would have been 10,000 years in prison. And, yes, they do give people those type of sentences. Oh, oh yes. Uh, can I say one more thing, please? I'm yes. sorry. Um, a few years back, it was, actually it was more than a few years back, it was probably like eight years back, I was in the Bronx. Um, one night, my my brother, a friend of mine, and and um, his girlfriend were all taking a taxi to a party um, on White Plains Road. And we didn't know where we were going, so the taxi cab driver made a few U-turns. The police pulled us over. Um. Now, I'll admit that we had a beer in the car in the in the back seat earlier, but it spilled. The entire beer actually spilled in the back seat. I don't think the taxi driver knew. I kicked the bottle under the back seat. At any rate, none of us were none of us had been drinking yet. You know what I mean? So it didn't even matter. We weren't driving. So the police pulled us over, pulled the taxi over, pulled all of us out because I guess they saw the, the beer bottle under the uh, the car seat and proceeds to after we protested and said that it wasn't ours you know he had no proof that it was ours anyway you know what i mean but they said it was ours got us out and then threatened to give somebody a ticket for drunk driving we're like what are you talking about we're passengers he he gave i took the ticket you know because you know i'm ex-military all of that stuff i have no record and stuff like that my cousins and my, my brother and my friend, and on the other hand, you know, they, whatever. So I was like, no, I'll take it because I'm going to fight this. You know what I mean? It's, this is ridiculous. Uh, I, the, in fast forward the story, when the court date came, I fought it. The cop was there. I told the judge, I'm like, we're passengers. I'm in the back seat. What am I, how am I going to get a DUI for this? He threw it out. But if I hadn't fought it, you know what I mean? Right. They would have just assembly lined you right through. Absolutely. Yeah, I was in the backseat of a, ta- a cab. And what, and what you. you just said right there is why I started FAIR, so that people can stop fighting these convictions. Like the definition of drunk driving, you have to be driving, number one. So why are you trying to write me a ticket because I'm in the backseat? They tell you to be responsible. And even if you had the bottle tilted your head, you was in the backseat. They tell right. you to be responsible. Call a taxi, call an Uber or Lyft get a designated driver and you were doing exactly what you were supposed to do. So that officer was a hundred percent in the wrong. Yeah, Thank you, Tony. Crazy. Appreciate Thank your you. honor to play your music today. Uh, thanks for writing about this. I wish more would do the same. And send us some more music. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Uh, so here's the strategy. Of Go ahead. I commented when I posted about that happening to me when I was Uber driving. Um, you, if you remember when yeah, I, I made 
Yeah, that's I was, mm, and that's what made me look up the suspicion laws and find out that no, they can't draw guns on you unless they're in pursuit of a hostile situation. And you making a U-turn is not a hostile situation. Now, if somebody called the police and said, you know, Demita is being violent, then they can come with their guns drawn. So it's and all they got to do is say it. Yeah. They don't have to be true. They just have to say it. He's going for my mm-hmm. gun. Stop resisting. And they beat the hell out of you. <laughs> Talking about stop resisting. That that law right there, the resisting arrest, I, I don't get that when that's your only charge. I know. I'm, it, I'm in charge with resisting arrest. So what else was there? Nothing else, just that. It's well, why were you arrested? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For resisting arrest. It, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's insanity of the United States. Um, here's the agenda for the rest of the evening. Uh, time does fly this program, as you all know. Um, we're up on yeah. almost 8.30 mark. I do want to play one more track before we're done because I want to continue to clarify some things. Um, you know, the work that we put into this abolitionist movement in order to remove these exception clauses, as we've done now successfully in state, seven states, bringing it up to eight. Uh, we just had a meeting the other day, Demita, you were there, where we had uh, – 10 of the 15 states represented, uh, ready to go this yeah. year, uh, you being one of them. Um, but we do have people who are giving us pushback and saying things like, well, this doesn't do anything. It doesn't change anything. And they're presenting unrealistic expectations, like saying, will this end the war on drugs? Will this set all the prisoners free when you and slavery in a constitution in Georgia, for example, will racism be over the next day? And these are just ridiculous arguments, especially coming from academics and politicians. And I want to listen to one of them tell us exactly that, um, because uh, it's just outlandish. It's the argument to try to uh, defeat us. It's part of the argument to defeat us. When we know that this is the heart of things and everything is connected to it, and when you take out that leg from a three-legged stool, it's inevitably got to fall over. We've go, right. We're going to have to challenge these things. It's not going to happen overnight. What are you, what's going to change immediately? Not a damn thing, very likely. But compared to how long it took us to get here, 158 years, we are moving at light speed right now. In just a few short years, we've accomplished all of these great achievements, and we know that the next step is to challenge them in court. So at least give us a damn chance. Um, I'm going to go ahead and play Professor Angela Bell, where on Constitution Day 2020, uh, she, she was at the Tulane Law School, where she's a professor, uh, explaining what she thinks about this movement. You're listening to Abolition Today, abolitiontoday.org. We're going to listen to this, and when we come back, we're going to get our final comments from our guests. Abolition. Abolition. I am going to talk a little bit about a book chapter that I am working on concerning the 13th Amendment and the way it intersects with race and justice. And most of the time when there is an attempt to have a discussion about the 13th Amendment and the intersection of race and justice, the conversation is quite predictable. People will often indict the exceptions clause in the 13th Amendment, and they will say that it is in fact the source of all systemic racism. They will cite 
the 13th Amendment's exceptions clause as the cause of the carceral state. Well, I certainly do not dispute that that exceptions clause is repugnant. I certainly do not dispute that it undermines many of the constitutional protections. But I do feel that these concerns are overstated, and I'd like to talk to you about why. So when we look at the exceptions clause in the 13th Amendment, it appears in Section 1. And Section 1 essentially says slavery is abolished, but in the exception of when a person is being punished for a crime, in that instance, we actually allow the continuation of slavery. You will also find similar language in Louisiana State Constitution appearing at Article 1, Section 3, making a reference after it promises Louisiana citizens individual dignity, that protection ends by saying we in Louisiana also endorse the idea of holding people in slavery if in fact they are convicted. So for those who espouse the belief that our problem involves the exceptions clause, I would like to propose that we just remove it momentarily. So now if we take that language out of section one, we will see something along the lines of there's no longer slavery or involuntary servitude. My question is exactly what will that accomplish? In other words, what I want to know, is it going to end the disproportionate stops, arrests, prosecutions, convictions, capital sentences, assessments and fines affecting African Americans and minorities disproportionately? Is it going to bring an end to the alarming rate of prosecutorial misconduct? Is it going to stop over-sentencing? Will it end the use of Jim Crow juries? And will we suddenly see a ceasing of bias and racism when it comes to laws and policies? So my point is to you, if we take those words out, the carceral state would remain intact. Nothing is going to be accomplished in terms of justice when we talk about simply removing the exceptions clause. Abolition. Abolition. Welcome back to Abolition Today, abolitiontoday.org. You just heard Professor Angela Bell. I don't even know if I should call her Professor, but Professor, Professor Angela Bell. Uh, Constitution Day 2020, Lane Law School, and that was the instrumental of Eminem with uh, You Don't Know. <laughs> yeah, perfect combination there, Max. She clearly doesn't know what she's talking about. <laughs> Unrealistic. Uh, what do you think, Demita? <laughs> so she's retarded. Um you know, y'all gave us homework after our meeting, and I just, you know, I love researching. So, you know, in law in every state, if um, the law has never been challenged, 
then that law can still be used in your defense or whatever. So if, let's say, for instance, Georgia does not remove the exception clause from, then you're basically saying that these are slaves. So what they, what I just found um, Friday night when I was researching to do my website for the abolitionist um, network, um, the slave laws will come back into play. So I'm going to, I was going to bring up the slave laws in Georgia at our next meeting and what they're saying because some of them play in the in the prisoner's favor, but most of them play in the jail's favor and the court's favor. Mm-hmm. So it, by by still con- um, treating them as slaves, then, yeah, at the conditions that they're in, it's going to stick. But if you remove the exception clause, now you got to treat them like humans. And that's what that removing it says. So it's not going to happen overnight, but it gives us a fight. It gives us a, a way to stand up and fight for their human rights. Yes, it's a tool we've never had before. Uh, yeah. To be able to have a very powerful tool, the Constitution of the United States of America, that tool. Uh, and, I mean, I would propose to Belle, let us take it out and find out. She's like, if you right. remove it temporarily, <laughs> like, are you crazy for real? You know, I'm, I don't want to use the word that you but are you really is there something wrong with you uh, when you say will this end slavery I mean will this end racism uh, we have dealt with this oppression for 158 years just since the 13th amendment you think that is going to change overnight because we wrote some new stuff in the constitution that's how, how you think it works uh, really uh, and then to say that it does nothing uh, I mean it sounds like you're pro, you're pro slavers like you're arguing on behalf of the prison industry or something like that. What's wrong with us taking this out? I don't understand that. It literally is a contract with the society of this country saying that this is what rules we adhere to. And one is a loophole saying your ass can be property if you're convicted of a crime. (laughs) So why wouldn't you want to take that out? (laughs) Exactly. You know, back, back when, you know, just last year, and I think back to Louisiana and all the pushback that happened when uh, Representative Jordan put out the word that he wanted everyone to vote against it because, and you saw so much chatter on social media as if they're reinstituting slavery. So people understand what would happen if we did away with the 13th Amendment in itself, not repeal and replace a couple of words, but just get rid of it in general, we know that there'd be slavery again. There'd be exactly. on the personal level, like personal individuals will be able to enslave people again. People can understand mm-hmm. that, but they don't understand what happens just by removing a clause. And like Demita just said, it's not going to happen overnight. There's still so many things that need to happen, but it starts there. You know, exactly. because we also start dealing with the mentality of people. Racism is a state of mind. You know, it's a system that's been built, but it also starts in the mindset of the individual. And when you mm-hmm. have a racist system and it have, has it as its root, as mm-hmm. Brother Benu Ra Hannibal son called it, the most racist monument ever built, which is the That, that was actually Connecticut that said that. Kinetic oh, I'm sorry, kinetic. You got to give the proper credit. Kinetic justice. Yeah, when kinetic justice said that, you know, 
it shows that that's the root of racism right there. Or you go back to Johann Blumenbach creating, you know, the, the racial construct, all of these things. But these were like minds that set this up. So, again, that's not going to go away. And I love not- how during this last election you all were putting the memes up to make sure they fully understood. Mm-hmm. And when they tried to trick with the wording, y'all came back and said, okay, just put one here, no here, yes here, whatever it is. I had to tell a lot of people, we're not hashtag abolishing the 13th Amendment. That means we want slavery <laughs> to come back. Yeah, we don't <laughs> want that. Move. <laughs> right, you just want the exception, and that's it. You don't want... Fuck you. Don't want, what was that? Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I'm, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know I was still on this. I'm uh, sorry about that. Oh, let me let me mute you, brother. <laughs> I got it. <laughs> I didn't know what was going on. <laughs> oh goodness. But yeah, it's it you know, they play with words on a lot of things and removing that exception out, you know, they put that they gave us what we want, we're gonna abolish the you know, slavery. But only if you commit a crime so in everybody's mind like when we was in our meeting Friday, you said you got to make sure they fully understand it. You have to break it down to them. And I found by doing so, a lot of people really didn't know. They really didn't understand what we what that movement was all about. But when you break it down to them, and you 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 have to pretty much say it on their level, then they got it. Then they understood what we were trying to do here. But Absolutely. that's what they do in this country with these laws that they'll they'll give us a little bit of what we want but there's always something else in there where they still get what they want because we're not paying attention to the wording for our georgia listeners your constitution currently says this right now there shall be no involuntary servitude within the state of georgia except as a punishment for crime after legal conviction thereof or for contempt of court so even for contempt of court, they can put you – you don't even have to be prosecuted. Just give the judge the middle finger, and you'll be breaking rocks somewhere. Yeah. yeah. The court also means missing your court date. Right. You're missing your court date, and suddenly you're out picking cotton in a field in a Georgia prison. <laughs> and we have cotton fields, y'all, where prisoners mm-hmm. fill a picket. <laughs> Well, it, it has been a hell of a program tonight, uh, very educational, uh, and uh, as we always do, uh, we leave you like this where you can choose to turn the other cheek or look the other way, but you can never again say that you did not know because we broke it down tonight for you to understand the complexity and that the whole damn system is guilty as hell, and we only covered just three parts of it, the eighth, the sixth and the plea bargains. There's so much more of it involved. And you can find about all of that in the 340 hours that we put into this program by going through our archives. And if you see a title that interests you or a description that you think you might want to know more about, go ahead and listen to it and share these episodes so more people can understand. I want to take an opportunity, Demeter, to give you um, the platform to say whatever you want to say to let people know how they can help you in these early stages in your Georgia efforts of organizing and getting this on the ballot, um, and uh, any closing comments or statements you might have. Okay, I did have a question for you. I, I remember at the end of the year you posted 
when Akima Williams had wrote a piece of legislature about amending the 13th Amendment. Now she's a federal congressperson. So is that, mm-hmm. did she write it when she was still a state congresswoman, or is it a federal law that she's writing? Um, she was the co-author of it along with uh, Oregon Senator uh, Merkley. Uh, so between the two of them, they put forth a joint federal resolution that would create okay. the 28th Amendment. And the 28th Amendment would effectively say that there shall be no slavery nor involuntary servitude, uh, even for as a punishment for crime. So it would negate that exception clause of the 13th Amendment. And now that uh, she's moved into a different arena, I believe that uh, she's getting a new sponsor for it. But the last I heard is they had 110 sponsors on our federal joint resolution. That's pretty big. Okay. Okay, do you know if anybody wrote one on the state level yet? For Georgia? Yeah. No, you'll be the first. You'll be that's, making history that's, with this. That's going to be you, Demita. I was asking. Gonna, I was yes. The package I sent so, you basically so, had to just fill in the blanks thing so you can write the bill right from wherever you're at. Okay, cool. So anyone in the state of Georgia, most importantly people that have loved ones incarcerated in any state, not just Georgia, but I think that now is the time for you all to stand up and come be a part of this movement because so many times I know everybody that does any type of activism or advocate work, everybody wants us to do everything. Your body and your participation will help this movement grow and get further than what we've even gotten. So anybody in the state of Georgia interested in being a part of this, reach out to me. Um, you can find me on all my platforms under Demita Bishop, and Instagram is Demita is Fair. So just reach out to me. Um, I know we, um, I, you all mentioned about doing an event. You know, I'm, I'm, I love putting events together. So I'm trying to figure out when, when you guys are ready to come down here. Let me know, and we can put our brains together on what to do. Here and um, you know I live in Atlanta, so in Atlanta most likely to kind of get the ball moving, moving and get people active in it. Yeah, you're at the early stages where you're building your coalition. So if you want to be a part of history and you're in Georgia, uh, contact Demita Bishop. Uh, that's uh, her handle on all the social media. Reach out to her uh, so that you can be a part of this amazing event that's about to happen in Georgia. We're going to remove this exception clause, and Georgia will be a free state for the first time in its history. Uh, Demita, I I do want to say thank you for being here with us today and uh, talking about this and for your dedication to the people and to this issue. Um, uh, We, you know, like I said in the meeting, you guys are like superheroes to me. (laughs) You know, uh, it usually just takes that one person to stand up, be strong, and you have done so, and others are doing so because of you. So thank you for that, and thank you for being here with us today. Thank you for having me. Well, um, we are, uh, are going to have a, a, a wonderful conclusion for the program. Um, we got a nice uh, bridging the gap for you tonight, um, and it's fitting uh, for what you've heard here. Any final comments uh, you might want to make uh, before we get into our sponsors and our bridging the gap, Demita? Oh, she. Oh, there you go. You're on, right? There you go. Sorry about that. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, you Any? all do amazing work, and I'm just honored to be a part of this with you all. Um, 
I look forward to growing and learning from y'all. And hopefully, you know, we can make it bigger than the next than it was in previous ones. Yes, indeed. Uh, Yusuf, any last minute items you want to put in before we get into our sponsors and uh, our bridging the gap? Yeah, it's just, you know, thank you so much for coming through tonight, Demita. Uh We didn't get a chance to talk about some of your experiences when you go to court with the uh, with the people who are being charged and how, you know, there's no one there to support them. So I just want to highlight that, that you're always preaching that, that people need to support their family members when they're in yeah. that courtroom because they're in there getting lynched. You know, and they just have no family support in there. So I know that that's something that's very important to use. I just wanted to bring that up. Yes. Um, thank you. Yes, and that has a lot for why I decided to. Even though people tell me I'm, I should have stopped smaller offices, but I'm running for. I plan to run for U.S. House of Representative. They haven't allowed us to do the applications yet, but that's because they play on our lack of knowledge and our lack of resources. And we've got to speak up. We've got to speak up for if if no one else is going to speak up for us, we got. To. Make sure you come back when you launch your campaign. Oh, I will. I mean, we'll be back long before then, but we'll do a special episode just for you know, even if you want to announce your candidacy here on Abolition Today, we'd even appreciate that if we were to do that. I definitely will. I know we're pressed for time, so I'll say this quick. So I do. I am working on the website, um, Abolish Slavery Georgia, Fighting Against Institutionalized Railroading, and the Committee to Elect Demita Bishop. Um, with the Federal Elections Committee, I'm taking classes, and at the end of it, when I'm done, we have to do a press conference. So because um, abolishing slavery will be one of the biggest things on my platform, I would like for y'all to come down and do the press conference with me. If you got um. We're going to make that happen, Demita. Thank you yeah, for, for sure. your invitation. For sure. We'll make Definitely. that happen. Accept that invitation. Okay. All right. Uh, Brother Yusuf, you want to give our sponsors a shout-out? And, yeah, uh, we have to. We ran out of time. Yeah, time just goes so fast. So we want to thank our sponsors and partners, Jailhouse Lawyers Speak, the IMWE Ubuntu Prison Advocacy Network, Sama Urge, Quakers Uplifting Racial Justice, the Paul Coffee Abolitionist Center, Prismatic Dreams, and the Abolished Slavery National Network. Remember to subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash Abolition Today, and also Abolition Today on Facebook. Go to that page, you'll find all the news, information, and music you hear on the program. We're also available on all major podcast platforms. Remember to join the movement at abolishslavery.us to become part of the solution. Text end the exception, one word, no spaces, to 52886 and follow the prompt. This will send a signed petition on your behalf to your congressional reps in support of the proposed 28th Amendment to repeal and replace the exception clause in the 13th Amendment. This week's Bridging the Gap, we're going to have Emmanuel I can coolly reading Odoba Kuguano's Thoughts and Sentiments of the Slave Trade. Thoughts and Sentiments of the Slave Trade. This is from 1787. It's from History Hub, and it's going to be followed up by the song, Canon. 
evil. Abolition Today will be back next Sunday, God willing, January 29th, with another master class on slavery abolition. Most likely we're going to have more of the new breed, so make sure you tune in. Make sure you pass this one on, because we showed you how the whole damn system is broken. Oh, I forget. Guilty as hell. The whole system is guilty as hell. So exactly. until next week, think about abolition today. Peace and blessings be, be upon you all. Peace. Have a good one, y'all. <laughs> Abolition. Abolition. Today. Abolition. The whole business of slavery is an evil of the first magnitude and an evil sorry I am that it still subsists and more astonishing to think that it is an iniquity committed amongst Christians and contrary to all the genuine principles of Christianity. Every man of any sensibility, whether he be a Christian or a heathen, if he has any discernment at all, must think that for any man or any class of men to deal with their fellow creatures as with the beasts of the field or to account them as such however ignorant they may be and in whatever situation or wherever they may find them and whatever country or complexion they may be of that those men who are the procurers and the holders of slaves are the greatest villains of the world we appeal to the inhabitants of Europe. Would they dare to say that they have not wronged us and grievously injured us and that the blood of millions do not cry out against them? And if we appeal to the inhabitants of Great Britain, can they justify the deeds of their own conduct towards us? And is it not strange to think that they who ought to be considered as the most learned and civilized people in the world, that they should carry on a traffic of the most barbarous cruelty and injustice, and that many even among them are become so dissolute as to think slavery, robbery and murder no crimes? No man can with impunity steal, kidnap, buy or sell another man without being guilty of the most atrocious villainy. And we will aver that every slaveholder that claims any property in slaves or holds them in involuntary servitude are the most obnoxious and dissolute robbers among men. Should the slaveholders say that they buy them, their title and claim is no better than that of the most notorious conniver who buys goods from other robbers, knowing them to be stolen and accordingly gives an inferior price for them. According to the laws of England, when such connivers are discovered and the property of others are lawfully found in their possession, the rightful owners thereof can oblige connivers to restore back their property and to punish them for their trespass. Let the inhabitants of any civilized nation determine if they were to be treated in the same manner that the Africans are, by various pirates, kidnappers and slaveholders and their wives and their sons and daughters were to be robbed from them or themselves violently taken away to a perpetual and intolerable slavery whether they would not think those robbers who only took away their possessions less injurious to them than the other 
The executors of the laws of civilization ought to tremble at the inconsistency of passing judgment upon those whose crimes, in many cases, are less than what the whole legislature must be guilty of, when those of a far greater crime are encouraged and supported wherever slavery is tolerated by law. Every man, as a rational creature, is responsible for his actions, and he becomes not only guilty in doing evil himself, but in letting others rob and oppress their fellow creatures with impunity, or in not delivering the oppressed when he has it in his power to help them. And likewise, that nation which may be supposed to maintain a very considerable degree of civilization, justice and equity within its own jurisdiction is not in that case innocent, while it beholds another nation or people carrying on persecution, oppression and slavery unless it remonstrates against that wickedness and makes use of every effort in its power to help the oppressed. For so, it ought to be the universal rule of duty to all men that fear God and keep his commandments, to do good to all men wherever he can. And when they find any wronged and injured by others, they should endeavour to deliver the ensnared. Can never trust a cop of my own good. My own. Yeah, black and blue was just another gang in my neighborhood. What's that? You got good guys, I got bad guys on the same field. My people stay trying to find acceptance with the same ones that I hate them. And that's evil. I woke up and feeling like Moses. Why do people still believe that they own us? Yeah, because my family woke up in Egypt. Doesn't mean I belong with they wrong us. Yeah, my black man. I got a real wife. I got a real life. I got a family. You ain't listening when we said that we nail. Calling Captain that we go in the plan B. Why you gotta go and reaffirm the way I feel of being around cops? Yeah, now nah, I'm a son when I see us dead. Cause your daddy said I was the eye. Sick and tired, you keep claiming it's ignorance. Tell me, can and how we supposed to be different? I should've known more about the history. How they treated us because of my pigment. What you said, get the facts all fast. Get the whole truth, show some respect. You can serve with a statement from officers. Double killer men is knee on the net. No, we on one, forget it. I've been on the town. Organize what you gonna do to me. Hip up the tables and chairs. It's in no way them, but them burn down your own community. Shout out the same old system. Shout out the same old victims. Shout out the same old Christians. Talking, you ain't even listening. We can be gay, reap, but we gay, reap. That's the culture. That's are you scared to fit for your life with guns out the holster? Yeah, niggas is tired of murder. Yeah, I said that niggas tired of the same verdict. I'm so sick and tired of giving verses. I'm so sick and tired of not working. Don't you stop a Christmas before you stop the witness. That's a real person. Let them bullets fly to somebody down and that wasn't worth it. Every part of my body inside of me feeling ready to go riot or ride. But my family is all that I got. Should I catch it back and keep it aside? Why should I worry about what you don't understand? My people are stay with the pay. Tell me how I'm supposed to be found when my black people die again and again. No, don't call me, no, don't text me I don't want empathy, don't try to check me You do not get to tell me how to feel With no reality, you do not respect me I got love for the right ones, for the wrong ones Only God can judge you This ain't the old times, but my people tired So it's hard to tell you what they want to Yeah, growing up, can never trust a cop for my own good My own, yeah Black and blue was just another gang in my neighborhood What's that? You got good guys, I got bad guys on the same field My people stay trying to find acceptance with the same ones Gotta hate them, and that's evil yeah. that's evil I cannot breathe, yeah. Can't tell me that evil. That's evil. I cannot breathe. Tell me that evil. That's evil. I cannot breathe, yeah. Can't 
Abolition. If we'd known you all were going to be this much trouble, we would have picked our own fucking cotton. Hi, my name is Jeanette Smith. I am a slavery abolitionist. Some of you may know me. I'm doing this recording because I would like to ask if any of you can help with some financial assistance. Max and Yusuf do not like to ask for money, so I would like to ask on their behalf because they and other abolitionists pull money out of their own pockets, and this is so important. So if you can help, you can find the information at the top of the Facebook page for Abolition Today. Thank you. Abolition. 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 Abolition.